means we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. This is VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the August 16th edition of the sunny side of sports. We're now 96 days away to the kickoff of the World Cup football tournament in Qatar. World Cup debutante Qatar will host Ecuador November 20th in the opening match at the 60,000-seat Al-Bayit Stadium. As players and coaches from the 32 participating teams continue their preparations for the World Cup, referees and match officials also are getting ready for football's premier event. World football's governing body, FIFA, held three seminars between May and June to prepare 36 referees, 69 assistant referees, and 24 video match officials from all six FIFA confederations who were chosen to officiate at the World Cup in Qatar. Massimo Busaka, FIFA's director of refereeing, says the match officials took part in theoretical classes and training sessions. It's like a football team. They have to prepare everything perfectly to arrive also very well prepared in the most important competition we have in sports. So here uh, we analyze situation, we discuss about concepts, topics, and whatever we need to, to be on the same page. Like a player who wants to win the game, who wants to score a goal, have to understand exactly what, uh, what you have to do. And for us, preparation is crucial. The chairman of the FIFA Referees Committee is Pierluigi Colina, a former football referee from Italy. Kalina was named FIFA's best referee of the year six consecutive times and is widely considered to be one of the best football referees of all time. The 62-year-old Kalina talks about one of the big goals of the FIFA seminars. Our objective is uh, to, uh, to prepare the referee as best as possible uh, to avoid uh, to use uh, the technology. But the technology is there to, to avoid that uh, a mistake uh, is committed. Uh, even the best referee can commit a mistake, he's a human being, we know it, uh, and uh, that's why we, we implemented uh, a, a system using tools that uh, can really reduce uh, the, the possibility that uh, a human mistake can affect the outcome of a match. Meanwhile, Stephanie Frappard of France is one of three female referees selected to officiate matches in Qatar. Three women were also chosen for assistant referee positions at the World Cup. Frappard is confident the officials will arrive in Qatar with the right tools to succeed. And we learn a lot because uh, every game it's, uh, it's a training for us. It's also more experience, uh, more management with the players. So every game, every year, we improve a lot. So I think we will be ready for the World Cup. Another female referee who will officiate at the World Cup matches in Qatar is Salima Mukunsanga. Earlier this year in Cameroon, the Rwandan ref Mukunsanga became the first female to officiate at the Men's Africa Cup of Nations Tournament. In this sunny side of sports highlight for 2022, here's a feature profile of Mukunsanga 
from Ejen Uimana in Kigali, Rwanda. I'm happy with my profession. <laughs> Salima Mukansanga is putting Rwanda on the map. Sports analyst Athen Tashobia says having uh, Salima Mukansanga as the, the first ever female uh, referee to officiate at the finals of Africa Cup of Nations is such a huge milestone. Not only for Rwanda, uh, but uh, I mean for the African uh, women uh, sportsmen and referees. Uh, I think she's opening up for uh, future milestones. In 1988, in Western Rwanda, a girl who would make history was born in the Rusiz district near the border of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Salima Mkansanga is a nurse by education. She has a bachelor's degree in nursing, which she received from the University of Yitkwe. I had the chance to talk with Salima a few days before she flew to France to officiate matches at the 2019 Women's World Cup. She said her father was a big influence in her becoming a football referee. I believe I got this talent from my dad. He was a sportsman. He was not a referee like me, but he played football a long time ago. And when he was old, he used to sponsor football clubs. Salima says when she started as a ref in 2008, she was harshly criticized by football fans who said being an official on the pitch is a man's job. I reached the point where I was about to quit. You see, I do a lot of physical exercises and I get paid per match. So that time matches were not many, which means there was no money. It was difficult for me, but because I knew what I wanted, and it is my passion. I had to be resilient. Salima says her big dream is to officiate matches at Senior Men's World Cup. However, football is not her favorite sport. When she was in the secondary school, she loved to play basketball, but due to a lack of female teams, she couldn't continue. Her vision changed, and now she says she exercises six days a week to stay fit and achieve her dream. Salima says one setback to her development has been the lack of female football competitions in Rwanda. In our country, female competitions are not many, and to get access to international ones is not easy. It's a problem because the more you get men matches, the better you become. In becoming an international football referee, Salima Mkansanga has empowered many Rwandan girls. So says a sports commentator at Rwanda Broadcasting Agency, Rigoga Ruth. When girls hear the story of Salima, they understand that it's possible. It motivates them to keep believing in sports and consider it as a career, a profession that you can make a living with. She's a Rwandan treasure. Rwanda has been recognized globally for its efforts to promote women in politics and other fields. Ethan Tashobia says Salima is a visible product of these initiatives. I think uh, the international community, especially Africa, is recognizing the effort that the, uh, the effort that the Rwandan government is putting into uh, to support uh, women, to empower women in all sectors. And uh, when Salima Mukansanga was given an opportunity to officiate, uh, they just concluded the Olympic Games. Uh, I think the calf was awake. Uh, they were watching and they were like, hmm, this lady is from, uh, from Rwanda, she's from Africa, uh, from a country that has been at the top of women empowerment in, in all sectors, politics, um, 
and then here we have uh, a sports personality in her own category. I think it's sort of attached to the entire effort that the country, the government of Rwanda is putting in to empower women. For the sunny side of sports, I'm Ejen Wimana, reporting from Chigali, Rwanda. Thanks, Ejen. VOA's Gwen Uten also filed this report on Salima Mukunsanga. In January, history was made on the pitch when Rwandan Salima Mukunsanga became the first woman to officiate at the Africa Cup of Nations. Mukunsanga walked on the field holding the match ball, accompanied by three male match officials. And during the game, which saw Zimbabwe defeat Guinea 2-1, to one, she showed a total of six yellow cards and separated players on the field. Ugandan sports journalist Usher Komangisha told Reuters News the ease and determination Mukansanga displayed on the pitch are the same traits that helped her reach the pinnacle of soccer on the African continent. You have to go all the way back to 1957. That is 65 years of uh, African history and she's right here in the center and doing an incredible job. You know, when I see her, uh, it's really a story of, uh, you know, a woman who is resilient. Uh, at 33, she's handling, uh, you know, games at the biggest tournament on this continent. It's an inspiration for women uh, who want to be like her because, in fact, for so many people who don't know when she started uh, her career, when she got the interest uh, to be a referee, she was playing football in primary and secondary school. Uh, and then uh, the Rwandan FA at the time said, look, you're very young to be a referee. Uh, but she waited out. She told herself uh, the rules of the game. And here she is. Soccer fans who were in attendance for the Zimbabwe-Guinea match said they were inspired by Mukansanga's achievements. And Zimbabwe supporter Felicia Chisepo says... Seeing a women being empowered, uh, this means that we're going forward and uh, moving as Africa, whereby uh, women are being represented and are being also involved in these sports that, you know, for a long time they is regarded as for men. So seeing a woman, uh, it also shows power. We're seeing women doing great things. So I'm so proud uh, of the referee. And I'm also proud of me as a woman. And Daphne Tinomuoda says Bukasanga has inspired female athletes to reach even greater heights in competition. So I think it's going to inspire other women in the continent to compete and go for the course as well so that they can compete in, on greater events like the Afghan competitions. Mukasanga's rise to the pinnacle of football was fueled by a passion for the sport with an interest first as a player that shifted to the middle of the field as a referee. Egide Kayatesi remembers training Mukasanga in her youth. Speaking in Kinyawanda, the veteran coach says she remembers her as a standout athlete. Kayatesi says, I had a good time with her. Mukasanga has an exceptional character, and when she has a match, she prepares for it by consulting refereeing books to do things correctly. She is someone who gives great importance to each game, and that's why Salima has reached this level. Mukasanga was involved in matches at the Tokyo Olympics last year and the Women's World Cup in France in 2019. Those world-class events no doubt not only prepared her for officiating the nation's cup, but also in making history on Africa's grandest stage. And that is all from me, Sonny. Back over to you. Thanks, Gwen. That's my VOA colleague, Gwen Uden. On the next Straight Talk Africa... 
William Ruto has been declared the president-elect of Kenya after a very tight race. We'll talk about the challenges ahead in that country. We'll also preview the August 24th general elections in Angola. President João Lorenzo is running for a third term. Join me, Heidi Adams, on the next Straight Talk Africa, this Wednesday at 18.30 UTC. You're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. In English Premier League football Monday, Liverpool and visiting Crystal Palace drew one all. Ivorian striker Wilfred Zaha put Crystal Palace in front with a goal in the 32nd minute. It was Zaha's 62nd Premier League goal. The 29-year-old Zaha joined Crystal Palace's football academy at the age of 12. And he certainly has proven himself with the first team since then. Getting back to Monday's match at Anfield, Liverpool's new Uruguayan striker Darwin Nunez received a red card in the 57th minute for headbutting Danish defender Joachim Anderson. Four minutes later, the Colombian man of the match, Luis Diaz, equalized for 10-man Liverpool on a brilliant right-footed screamer, a screamer! Liverpool has opened the new Premier League season with two draws. Crystal Palace has one draw and one loss. Crystal Palace will next host Aston Villa on Saturday, August 20th at Selhurst Park. And Liverpool's next match is on August 22nd when it visits Manchester United. In more Premier League news, the rape trial of Manchester City defender Benjamin Mendy has begun in Chester, England. The 28-year-old Mendy was described by prosecutors as a predator who could not take no for an answer. The French international has been accused of eight counts of rape, one count of attempted rape, and one count of sexual assault. He was accused of committing the offenses against seven young women between October 2018 and August 2021. Mendy has denied the charges. FIFA has suspended India's National Football Federation due to what it calls undue influence from third parties. The suspension comes after India's highest court disbanded the federation in May and appointed a three-member committee to govern the sport. The suspension also means the FIFA Under-17 Women's World Cup scheduled to take place in India from October 11th to October 30th, will not be held in the country. Go beyond the daily headlines with VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. Each weekday, join us as we put the latest developments into a global context with stories, interviews, and analysis. Listen online at voanews.com slash flashpoint or in your favorite podcast player. Hello, listeners. My name is Majida Nantanda. I'm a former Christed Crane captain, former national team Christed Crane coach, and now a calf coaches instructor. Listen to Sunny Side of Sports on Voice of America. How did former Crested Cranes captain and coach Majda Nantanda get her start playing football? 
That's the question Magume Davis Rocka Winge posed to her. It wasn't as as it is now, because before, when I was still playing, doing those days, as women or girls, we are not allowed to play the game. And But I got a chance of playing with my brothers, who were always involved in the game, with those community boys, because I was good at it. So for me, I grew up playing football just because the boys wanted me to play on their teams. And being that I was talented, so... So I'm, I'm among the few girls who grew up playing football just because of my talent. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, you eventually played for the national team, the Uganda Crested Cranes. Uh, consequently, representing Uganda at uh, the famous 2000 uh, finals in South Africa. Yes. Mm, how was it? Uh, it was a very good experience. And as a leader, because by then I was the captain of the team, uh, uh, though I wasn't the captain for the field because I decided to give it to my senior player, Oliver Mbekika, but I was the captain, the full captain of the team. It was a very good experience because as women who just played football without knowing what is happening, all of a sudden qualifying for that top continental uh, championship, like we got excited and it's like, ah, this is our chance. And then we started feeling why and then actually making us consoling ourselves or oh, maybe this is why we played football because by then we we're never paid we're just doing for for our own with passion right now who i am today is that experience i got in 2000 because i got to interact with the nigerians whom i used to admire as role models the south africans they're now my friends and when i meet them you know so it gave me that chance of seeing things beyond not only to be a player but just to think what would i do when i retire from the game actually talking about that brings me to you uh, from being a captain, from playing for the national team, eventually coach the national team. Uh, how did you achieve that? Uh, I, how I came into, like in 2007, uh, FIFA wanted to, like there was a youth coaching course, so it was FIFA sponsored. So FIFA told them, had a condition, if you want this course to happen, because FIFA had brought over 50 coaches, male youth coaches. So they said at least you need to involve women. So by then I was still playing, so the federation told one of the coach, the people, we, the person who was to be with us, go and get for us five good players from the national team. Being that I was the captain, uh, he just came and said, hey Majid, being automatic. the automatic, get your other four players, you should pick those who are better. Tomorrow, you have, like on Monday, you have to go to FUFA and attend a coaching course. Don't mind, because I never thought about being a coach, I never wanted, because no one told me in the first place you can be a coach. Mm. So it was all about play football, be the right midfielder, keep that position. So during the last closing ceremony, uh, the FIFA instructor, Fig from German, he said, I'd like to recognize one of the coaches, good, like one of the best participants. So I went in front and started saying anything like, this young woman, if helped, and the federation people were there, the technical director and the federation president, if helped, she can be a better player, a better coach in future. Mm. So help her, and then she gave me a FIFA badge. After there, then there was, CAF was... I think had an invitation telling all federations to select two women. They must have played for the national team and they must have attended a coaching course. The same year, I'd attended the coaching course. So that's when I went to South Africa for CAF. And when I went to reach the CAF, they're like, okay, we want to mentor you to become better coaches and instructors in future. So that happened when I came back. I said I've retired and that's how I took up coaching. So actually retired from uh, active football uh, when you're still young. Exactly, exactly. Mm. But because of that experience, first with the FIFA instructor and then going to CAF, CAF uh, course in 2007 and seeing the role model like Fran Hinton-Smith, seeing all the people and they're talking about coaching and how they want to develop women coaches in, in Africa and also to become instructors. When I came back, it's when I said I need to retire, although I can still play. The growing the Game for Girls Foundation, uh, which is your organization. 
tell us more about it. How do you come with this organization and how has it helped you achieve your dream of promoting women uh, football? Uh, in 2010, a group of Americans came to Uganda, actually they were at Old Kampala Secondary School, and they wanted to train over 200 uh, coaches. So I happened to be among the 200 coaches. More of them were, they were men. We are only 40 women. So one of the ladies was Lisa Berg from the U.S. She was the, the assistant. Like, I came to Uganda, I was looking for people like you. Do you exist? I said, yes. So that's when I got a chance to go for my exchange program in the U.S. So I told them my story. And then when they told me, what do you want? I said, like, whatever I've told you, you came to Uganda looking for us, but we are somewhere hidden. No one even told you that the women are playing football. People used to take her to the men's team. So I want to be the change that I want to see. So with that, Lisa said, I can help you do that. So we came up with that. Me and Lisa. The growing the game for girls. Exactly. To use my experience as a former player, as a former woman playing soccer, to see that there's a change in all women and girls in Uganda from now until that using my experience. And then, because I know, like, if I used to play, some of my colleagues used to drop out of school. It's like, how can I use football? How can these girls use football to come and or attain education? Talk about issues like rape high pregnancy, drug use and abuse, all the experience that I had, all the experience that I saw when I was playing, mm-hmm. so what I want to use that. So till now it has done a lot of things, a very good project, and I'm also supported by Global Sports Mentorship Program. It's the U.S. Department of State uh, program, because uh, that's where I was mentored, and all whatever I do through mentorship is because of them. So... It's my project. I have passion. I do it for free. I go to communities. I gather women. I gather men. I gather girls. Because I'm a former footballer, I attract them with my tricks. And then I tell, talk to parents. When you see that girl playing, allow her to play. Maybe she can be a doctor in future. That's Majda Nantanda, the former captain and coach of Uganda's national women's football team. And she spoke with Magume Davis Rakawinge in Kampala, Uganda. Sporting greetings. This is Stella Agun Nkwazema, the former captain of the Nigerian national women's basketball team, also known as the Tigress. You are listening to the sunny side of sports on Voice of America. Thanks. Thanks, Stella. The 2022 Basketball Without Borders Africa Camp will be held from August 28th to August 31st at the Hassan Mustafa Indoor Sports Complex in Cairo, Egypt. This will be the 18th Basketball Without Borders Africa Camp. It marks the first time the NBA and FIBA's Global Basketball Development and Community Outreach Program will be held in Egypt. And it's the first time the program has been held in Africa since 2019 in Senegal. More than 60 of Africa's top male and female players, all under the age of 18, are expected to attend the camp. The venue, the Hassan Mustafa Indoor Sports Complex, also hosted games in April during the second season of the Men's Basketball Africa League, or BAL. The Voice of America is a proud broadcasting partner of the BAL. Turning to tennis, star players Rafael Nadal and Serena Williams are getting ready for their opening matches 
at a hard court tournament in the U.S. city of Cincinnati, Ohio. VOA's Gwen Uten has details. Sporty greetings, Gwen. Sporty greetings, Sonny. Last month, an abdominal tear forced Rafael Nadal to withdraw from the Wimbledon tournament. Then earlier this month, Nadal announced he was pulling out of last week's Canadian Open due to the same injury. Nadal has not competed in over a month. But on Sunday, the 36-year-old announced he will return to the court this week for the Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati. But he admits he's still not 100%. I'm practicing more or less okay, I think. Uh, hope to be ready. Uh, abdominal is a, is a place that... Uh, it's dangerous because in every serve you put a lot of effort there, so I need to take the things a little bit easier and do the things the proper way. That's what I am trying to do. Try to be a little bit more conservative, but I, I hope that I can be ready for the action here. Nadal has won an all-time record of 22 Grand Slam men's singles titles and is currently ranked number three in the world. But he says returning to the number one spot is not his primary goal. Well, for me, what really means a lot is stay healthy. You know, if that happens, then the rest of the things can happen. If not, can't happen. So, uh, as I said at the beginning of the season, no, of course, my my goals, mm, all my goal can't be uh, be the number one uh, again because I am. I will not follow that that thing. If, as I said at the beginning of the season, if for some reason that happens uh, because I played very well all the tournaments that I am playing, amazing, of course, and of course means a lot to me to have that opportunity, something that I probably never uh, expect that can happen again. But here we are. No? So uh, main thing, stay healthy, be able to, to finish the season playing the events that I wanted to play. Uh, of, of course, I'm going to put all my efforts on every single event that I play, but it's something that I, I do all the time. doesn't matter if I'm having a chance to be number one or not. No, But, of course, happy to be in this privileged position, and if for some reason that happens, I will be amazingly happy. Nadal last claimed a victory in Cincinnati in 2013 and returns to the tournament for the first time in five years. And all eyes will be on center court when American tennis great Serena Williams plays her opening match in what is likely to be one of her final tournaments of her career. Earlier this month, Williams announced she is evolving away from tennis, and she has since embarked on a farewell tour in the final weeks leading up to her retirement. Last week, Williams said goodbye to Canadian fans at the National Bank Open in Toronto and received a standing ovation. Now back in the U.S., Williams is hoping to add to the two titles she won in Cincinnati, in 2014 and 2015. On Sunday, Rafael Nadal talked about the impact Serena Williams has made on the sport and said the 23-time Grand Slam champion is one of the greatest of all time. She uh, one of the greatest uh, sports of all time. Uh, so I feel lucky to share tour for a long period of time uh, with her. Of course, uh, from the... Um, selfish point of view uh, is sad that uh, she's leaving the tour uh, but in the other hand uh, we can't thank her enough all the all the things that she did for 
for for our sport. No, I think she's a, an amazing inspiration for a lot of people around the world, and uh, hopefully we can keep uh, seeing her around the tour because I always believe that the, our sport or the sports in general are bigger and better when the legends are, are around and uh, she is a legend so um, hopefully we can keep enjoying her uh, in a different way but around the tour. Williams, who turns 41 in September, revealed that a desire to expand her family and pursue business interests led to her decision to retire from the sport. Her final tournament could take place as soon as the end of August at the U.S. Open in New York. But both Williams and Rafa Nadal must first compete in Cincinnati in one of the oldest tournaments on the tour. Williams will face reigning U.S. Open champion Emma Raducanu of Britain in an opening match that was pushed back to Tuesday, a move that surely angered many Monday night ticket holders. However, Rafael Nadal is still on schedule to return to the court in his opening match on Wednesday. And that is all from me, Sonny. Back over to you. Thanks, Gwen. That's my VOA colleague, Gwen Uden. And that wraps up the August 16th edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. I get it. And that's the sunny side of sports.